want to welcome everybody here at our Bellingham campus. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us at Ferndale and at our Sudden Valley campuses as well. We're glad that you're here. Let's dive straight in. So in week number one of Restart, I shared with you how I restarted my running discipline after having a shocking moment of clarity on a demonic bathroom way scale, okay? If you missed last week, you may want to catch up. I told you about how my reality and my perception kind of shocked me into restarting an area of my life that I had just kind of let slide. Now, here's the funny thing. While I was making excuses for my physical being, my physical reality, I was actually using my history to excuse my reality. Because whenever the conversation or the topic would revolve around exercise, I was very quick to share these words. I would say, I ran a marathon once. I ran a marathon with Pastor Bob Marvel from Cornwall, and I did it in, in just over four hours on my first try. It was very, very awesome. And I would talk about it like it happened yesterday, but the reality was this. I ran that marathon in 2005, seven plus years ago. People, this is what we need to understand, okay? If it's not in the same decade, it doesn't count anymore, Okay? Men, you need to know this, because I hear you guys talking about it. I played football. Yes, you did, in middle school, <laughs> three decades ago, in the 80s, with your feathered hair and your neon wham t-shirt. That's when you played football. It doesn't count anymore. Unless you're coaching, it doesn't count anymore. We love history. We love nostalgia. We love talking about the good old days, even though the good old days were not nearly as good as we'd like to remember them because we're all losing our memories as we're getting older. That's just true. I mean, we just love to wrap ourselves in nostalgia and go, well, that was awesome. Let's go back and do that again, okay? Now, the reality is I like to make fun of people who love to attach themselves to their history, but the truth is, there is some value in history. In fact, the Bible actually specifically says that there's value in history. Listen to these verses from Job chapter 8. It says, Ask the former generation and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know nothing. <laughs> I love that, right? For days are, are, our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Listen to these words from Isaiah 46. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So there is some value in history. As long as we don't get wrapped in the nostalgia, there's value in history because those who don't learn from the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them over and over and over again. So as we begin to, this week to kind of look down memory lane just a little bit, here's my tension. My tension is that we're going to wrap ourselves up in that nostalgic, romantic feeling about the past and go, let's just, let's just focus on that because it felt so good. Okay. I tried to encapsulate my tension in talking about history in this little phrase in your outline. We are called to honor our history, not curate the museum. You get that? There's a big difference there. 
So just stick with me. I think we need to learn from our past and use that to build on our future. I don't believe we're supposed to fixate on our past, hold hands, and sing a rousing rendition of memories, okay? We need to return to the biblical roots of our past because the Bible says those biblical roots will actually stand forever. So with that in mind, let me just tell you a story. In 1981, a group of people began a church at the Viking Twin Theater. We actually have a picture of the old Viking Twin. How many of you here at Bellingham campus remember that? Wow. Okay, you just dated yourselves, okay? The Viking Twin Theater used to be where Ross and Sherry's are right now, just down the Guide Meridian, okay? This group of church people, in their words, were a group of beat-up church refugees. If you know the history of Whatcom County churches in the early 80s, it was ugly, Pastors coming and going, churches exploding, imploding. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on. This group of people had a church war story, and they had that in common, so they kind of found each other. And when they found each other, God began to move. So they actually bought land on the Guide Meridian, built a building, and dreamed of a huge future. But by 1988, the church had fallen on hard times, and in their words, because I interviewed a bunch of them, they actually felt like God had stopped moving. That he just kind of took his hand off of everything. So that little group of people, that little group of survivors called Steve Mason as their pastor. And they changed the name of the church to Christ the King. The reason they named it that, according to one of the people who was there, is they wanted that, that even if people were talking badly about them, when they said the name of the church, they would be bringing glory to God. That's kind of cool, right? This is a picture of some of that original group. There, before there was 54, there was a couple, actually, I mean, a couple fewer. So there's about 22 of them. They were the original pioneers. In the early days, there were three biblical anchors that held this group to the mission and, and grounded their church. I actually listed them in their outline. They made this decision. They agreed that their church would be devoted to worshiping God, that they would be dedicated to the mission of reaching out to people who were far from God, and that they would obey the one another commands of Scripture through the ministry of small groups. Whenever you hear the phrase one another's, here's what we're talking about. The Bible says that we're supposed to love one another, serve one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. So those are the one another's. Now we're going to stop here for a moment and just unpack the biblical anchors. Because if they were grounded in the word of God, here's my conviction. They still apply today because they're timeless if they were biblical. So Christ the King was founded on three biblical anchors. Here's the first one, and I made them personal for all of us. That we would be a worshiping church. That people would worship God as a lifestyle. I want you to understand, worship is not just music and singing. Far from. True worship of God encompasses everything that a disciple of Jesus does. That's why the Bible says this in Colossians 3. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In whatever you do, the way you shop, the way you drive, the way you parent, the way you blog, the way you exercise, the way you serve, the way you talk, the way you talk about other people, the way you eat, the way you work, the way you text, the way you kiss your spouse, the way you treat a waiter or a barista or a grocery clerk, the way you think about the people in line in front of you in the gas line. <laughs> the way you vote, whatever you do, is an act of worship, and it either brings glory to God or it doesn't, period. Period. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, 
in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In this context, worship is about sacrifice. It's about offering your whole self, your whole mind, your whole body, your whole soul to God, not for your use, but for his use. Worship is about engaging in a relationship with God that produces a joy that should flow out of every fiber of your being. Here's my issue with so many of us when it comes to worship. We have been saved through the blood of Jesus from eternal damnation in hell. That should precipitate unbelievable joy. The problem is this. It happened in our heart and we've forgotten to tell our face. And we've forgotten to tell our hands. And we've forgotten to tell our feet. We've forgotten to, to move that through our entire body. Worship should flow from a heart of gratitude into your work, your relationships, your discipleship, your service into every area of your life, like we talked about last week. In an act of worship, we acknowledge that we belong to Jesus. We are not our own. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, Grant does not belong to Grant anymore. Grant belongs to Jesus. All of us are called to lay our lives on the altar daily, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Second anchor, that we would be committed to outreach, that people would live with their arrows pointed out. Let me explain what that means. There's a normal gravitational pull in every human being to have the arrows of your life and attention point back towards you. There's a natural gravitational pull for all of us to talk about what we like, what we want, what we need. And the original group of people at CTK made this unbelievably difficult decision that they were going to force the arrows back out so that it wasn't about them. So that it was actually going to be about people that were far from God. Okay, let's jump back into the history. In the early days, Christ the King was located on the guide in Laurel. So, for those of you at the Bellingham campus, if you're going to head north going home, if you drive through the little town of Laurel on the left-hand side, you'll see a Calvary Chapel. That's where CTK used to be. Well, the church was growing as they had that little piece of property there, and a, a God moment happened. Because one day, they saw that their parking lot was a mess. In fact, we've got a picture of the original parking lot. You can see the potholes. You can see that you could lose a small car in some of those potholes, according to the people who were there, Okay. And the people who that were there, they knew that they were okay with a busted up parking lot. They'd drive on it, no problem. But they also knew that their parking lot was a barrier to the people that were about to come. They would drive on it. Nobody else wanted to drive on it. So they made an arrows out decision. Instead of just focusing on the little group that was already there, they made a strategic decision to push the arrows back out again. They believed if we were going to be a place where people who were far from God were going to come, that we needed to remove every earthly barrier for them to be able to be welcome. The price tag on that parking lot on paving it was fifty grand, $50,000. According to the people who were here at the time, it may as well have been $5 million. They were just a little group of people. But they knew this. They were committed to reaching out. I interviewed some of the folks who were here. They said people took out second mortgages on their homes. People skipped vacations for years at a time. People drove cars for way beyond probably what they even should have 
because they wanted to be a part of that faith project. So they unpacked it. They paved the parking lot, and this is what they accomplished. You can actually see the picture, and it's still there to this day. And people began to come. By the hundreds, they actually started showing up. And Christ the King learned a lesson that's still true today. When God's people step out in faith, God moves because God has a heart for people who are far from God. That's why the Bible says, Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Matthew 4, 19, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So apparently God's heart for the hurt and the broken is timeless and it's still relevant today. Here's one more anchor. They made a decision that we would be committed to authentic biblical community through small groups. Basically, that just means that people were going to live out their faith face to face. Okay? Following Jesus is a team sport. You need community. You need other people. And believe me, I know how much of a stretch that is for some of you that are in this room. Because believe it or not, you're like me. I'm a raging introvert. I like to be alone. A happy moment for me is in my backyard, by myself, with my dogs, because dogs don't talk, okay? I love those moments there, but I also understand something. The devil loves to isolate people. He loves to make you believe that you are nameless, that you are faceless, that you don't need anybody else, that you can just hang out on your own and it's going to work out fine. Here's the problem with that. God wired you for relationship. God wired you to be in community with other disciples, The Bible actually says this about the first church in history. Acts chapter 2 says, Every day, talking about the first church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church met together in the temple courts, much like we do in our weekend services, okay? The Bible also says they met in homes. They did faith face-to-face, like we do in our small groups. And the result of both of those activities is actually in that last phrase. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When the original church began to worship God, reach out to people who were far from God, and to focus not on being big, but on being small, the Holy Spirit of God began to move in the hearts of people, and it began to grow. And that's what happened in the early days of CTK. If you look at the attendance charts for the first five years, it didn't grow very much. In fact, kind of flatlined. And then all of a sudden, it began to take off, because Christ the King was focusing on three elements. Okay? Focused on those three elements and it began to grow. Praise Jesus, it began to grow. It was not the people, it was not the plan, it was the pastor, praise Jesus, that he began to grow his church. We have to keep that as the central focus of this whole thing. This church and every church that names Jesus as Lord, they belong to Jesus. Anytime it grows is to the praise of his glorious grace. This is not about people. It's not about us. Never will be. Ah, I got one or two mute amens. Christ the King grew to a second location on the guide just up near the Horton Road where Christ the Evangelical Church. Now, now then this is the building. Now we've got another church that's in there, which is kind of cool too. 
1998, the church moved to this location and a different kind of growth began to surface. In Easter, 1999, a group of people under Pastor Dave Browning's leadership began to meet in Mount Vernon and the story began not just to grow, but to multiply. Anchored in worship, God's heart for people who are far from God and a passion for community, the church began to grow. And today, just to mention a few, okay, I'm not even gonna be able to get to more than half of them. Let me show you what God did with that little group of people who just made a decision that they were going to focus on three things. Outreach, worship, small groups. Okay, let me just show you. Okay, so we got Christ the King in Bellingham. There's us, okay? Still have puddles in the parking lot. We're working on it, okay? All right, next picture. This is Christ the King Abbotsford, our Canadian friends and family across the line, growing like crazy. Okay, next picture. This is the future home of Christ the King Anacortes. They are already there. They exist. It's a growing church. Pastor Rusty Van Dusen doing a fantastic job, and it's growing. Next picture. This is the outside of, of Canby, Oregon. Okay, so we got Christ the Kings in Oregon now. They're growing. Pastor Tim doing a great job. All right, next picture. This is Pastor Todd teaching in Coopville, where he just came from. You can see some of your brothers and sisters in Christ from Coopville. Next picture. All right. This is the current location of Christ the King Ferndale. Hello, Ferndale. Good morning. We're glad to have you along. And this is really exciting. Here's the future home. Okay. Christ the King Ferndale is moving downtown to the Pioneer Center. We've been able to purchase some storefronts down there. They're already doing construction. It's beginning to grow and it's going to be right smack dab in the middle of Ferndale. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. Next picture. All right. This is Christ the King Friday Harbor. Little, little cl cluster of believers, it's awesome. Okay, next picture. Here's Gibson's British Columbia, Christ the King. Little environment, small church, doing great things for God. All right, next picture. This is Christ the King Kendall. Used to be the Holy Smoke Tavern. No longer the Holy Smoke Tavern. Does anybody know what the Holy Smoke Tavern was before it was a tavern? It was a church. We took it back. Okay, this is Christ the King Kendall, that's awesome, okay. Next picture, this is the sign outside of CTK LaConnor. All right, down on the little part down there in Washington. Here, of course, Linden, North County, Christ the King Community Church, Pastor Kim Ryan, doing a phenomenal job. Next picture, this is Christ the King Mount Vernon, Pastor Cliff Tatum, right on Riverside Drive, church that's growing, just exciting things going on in Mount Vernon, okay? Here's CTK North Bay, all right? They obviously have the presence of God. Do you see the rainbow? Woo! All right, Pastor Dan McAvoy, all right? They're doing an amazing job out there. Here's the first baptismal service from Christ the King, Port Orange, Florida, okay? This is pretty cool. This guy right here, the surfer dude with the long hair, that's Pastor Scott. He's doing an amazing job leading people to Christ in Florida. Okay, next picture. Here's Christ the King, Cedra Woolley. Gonna love the people down in Woolley. All right, next picture. Here's Christ the King, Sudden Valley. One of our newest expressions here at Christ the King, Sudden Valley, Sunday nights, Pastor Jason Manning leading that group, okay? And here's the newest baby of them all. This is Christ the King, Southside. In just a couple of weeks, October the 7th, they're gonna start having regular services every single week. They've, they've grown already. Pastor Rob Rogers is gonna be leading that particular group. And I just wanna make sure that we understand I'm not talking about this and showing you pictures so that we can all have one of these moments our Oh, it was just so beautiful and wonderful. And the reason I'm showing you the pictures is because it's all to the glory and the honor of the name of Jesus because this is his church. This is his church. And he is Christ the King. He is Christ the King, okay? There's so much more to the story. 
But before we move forward, I think it'd be wise for us just to stop and honor God for his faithfulness with a warning. If we wanted to, we could just bask in the glow of the past. We could even build some monuments if we wanted to and talk about the good old days. Or we could restart some passion. Not because we're nostalgic, but because we're biblical. See, when I open my Bible, this is what it teaches me. Disciples of Jesus worship God at all times and in all things. Disciples of Jesus can't control their burning passion to tell the story of the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and the hope that he brings. Disciples of Jesus understand there's forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. Disciples of Jesus know that being in relationship with God and being in relationship with each other, that matters, not just in this world, but for eternity. Disciples of Jesus know this to be true. We're going to talk about this little phrase a lot. I put it in your outline. If you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you try to build the church, build the church, you will rarely, rarely get disciples. So I want you to understand, we're not trying to build a church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The people from history, their name is not mentioned in that sentence. The people currently, our name is not mentioned in that sentence. The people that are coming after us, their name is not mentioned in that sentence. Go ahead, you got me just, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not trying to make a church. Jesus is building his own church. And we get a front row seat. We're not trying to make a church. No, we're doing kind of what we've always done. We are continuously creating an authentic Christian community of disciples who knows what it is to worship, who care about their neighbor who's far from God, and who care about their spiritual family, because this is family. Okay, so let me make this personal. I've been a part of the Christ the King story for 12 years. In 1999, I didn't walk through the front doors. I crawled through the front doors. I did not come because I wanted to go to church here. I came here to get Pastor Rick Todd off my back. I wanted Rick to leave me alone, stop inviting me, leave me. Don't tell me you're going to sing all of my favorite songs if I come to church at Christ the King because I was not interested in going there. I still love Jesus. I just didn't like his girlfriend. I didn't like the way she acted. I didn't like the way she treated people. So I just kind of showed up. And when I walked through the door, I saw something that I had never seen, even though I'd been a pastor for 10 years. I saw functioning, thinking adults give their hearts to Christ. I'd seen middle school students and high school students as a youth pastor, and that just touched me in the deepest part of my being. But I, I never saw grown-ups, whatever that means, give their hearts to Jesus. I found a group of people who were just doing their best to love God and love people who were far from God. I found out that, that there was a group of people that, that, that just hated fake religious acting. I found out that 
If you said the words around here, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. People go, liar. I found out that you could be real and be loved. So that's why I've been hanging around for 12 long years. It seems like about two for me. I found a group of guys who love me in spite of myself, who were willing to call me out when I needed to be called out, who would hug me when I just wanted to curl up inside of my introverted self and have the world leave me alone. I found a group of guys who would openly pray for me at the drop of a hat. Never experienced that before. Now, I've had a front row seat on the, all of the life of Christ the King over the last 12 years. I've seen it grow up. I've seen it grow down. I've seen it expand. I've seen it shrink. I've seen people come. I've seen people go. I've seen Jesus work. And I'll tell you something. I, right now, have a front row seat on Jesus working now. So for all of us, here's what I'm calling us to. It's time to restart the passion. It's time to re-engage with the heart of God to touch people who are far from God. It's time to find people you can grow with and serve with. It's time to step out of your isolation and get connected. It's time for Christ the King to accomplish its mission. To create an authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people in love, acceptance, and forgiveness so that they can experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. So here's the dream, my friends. It's everyone living a lifestyle of worship every single hour of every single day, of every single week, of every single year, of every single decade from now until Jesus comes home. It's understanding. We're either worshiping God or we're not. This is the dream. That every one of us would intentionally reach out beyond ourselves to people who are far from God. People that God has strategically placed in our lives. In the cubicle next to us. In the house next to us. In the lunchroom next to us. The dream is everyone involved in meaningful group life because community matters. This is how I said it last night. Do you really think you have an amazing life when you don't know enough people to carry your casket? And I know that's sobering, but I had a moment a few years back when I, I could not name six people that could carry that box, even though I was most definitely not inside. It's about doing life together. And I know it's just so much easier to mind your own business, but that's not how God wired us. So what's this church all about, Grant? Well, I'll put it this way. It's about loving God, it's about loving each other, and it's about loving others to God. It's pretty simple. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Jesus, we give you all of the honor and glory and praise for what you are doing and have done.
We don't take any credit. We don't take any accolades. Lord, it's not about us. May we always remember that. Father, right now, I pray that you would just press deeply into each one of our hearts. Lord, help us to ask the tough questions. Do I really worship God in everything? Do I really care about the neighbor across the street who is far away from you? Do I know what it means to be in community? Do I care more about giving than getting? Lord, as we restart again this fall, would you give us a burning passion for these three anchors because you lived each one of them out for us. We love you. We give you honor and glory and praise as you continue to write out this story. And it is in Jesus' good name that we pray. All God's